Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard. The podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Hello and welcome back to the Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. Anthony Coppage leads the vision, strategy, and execution of how business agility is infused in digital sales at IBM with marketing and with productive management altogether. In this episode, Anthony shares practical, actionable strategies to optimize relationships, obtain more leads, and secure thought leadership space. Hey there, Anthony. Welcome to the Boost Podcast. I'm so happy to be here, Kelly. I am happy to have you here. And so for folks who are hearing your name for the very first time, tell us a little about yourself. I'm just this guy, you know, so (laughs) just this guy, guy. I I really am. I've come to understand some things about myself over the years and my careers. And it's really been interesting because ultimately I just want to help people and I want to help people be better at the things they of who they are, not just what they do. So some of that includes what they do, but a lot of it is that what we'd call soft skills. I call them essential skills and being able to say, how do we have these, these conversations that lead to better outcomes, not just more outputs. How do we think of differently to achieve better outcomes? And if we can do it through the lens of client centricity, that's a win. So it's always thinking about how do you create and deliver value for the purpose of serving others, no matter what you do. And and in a nutshell, that's what I do. It's kind of a big way to describe it at a high abstract level, but, but I think it fits. So essential skills, it's interesting because I often refer to those soft skills as success skills. And so I, I now I'm going to pick up that essential skills. I like that. So thank you for sharing that. And so I know a lot of the work that you do um, is around this notion of business agility. And mm-hmm. so what is um, exactly what is business agility and how does it apply perhaps to our audience today? You know how we had COVID hit and everybody had to react to the thing that happened. Well, agility lets you respond, not just react. React is what happens when you are caught out of the blue and you don't have a way to navigate change quickly. So the world is volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. That would be VUCA, V-U-C-A. So it's always been that way. COVID just really codified that for a lot of businesses. It was like, wow, we really got caught without knowing what to do. And it caught the world, obviously, by surprise. But beyond COVID or beyond a big global pandemic, there change is always going to happen. It's the one constant. Right? It's going to be change. What business agility gives you the ability to do is to respond because of change, not just in spite of change. So if you're making a reaction to something, you're behind the curve and you're now re- trying to figure out what next. Whereas if you're responding, you've anticipated ways to respond based on how things can change. It's not the exact change that's important. It's the way you're preparing yourself to respond to change. And when change becomes normalized, then it just becomes the way you do business. It's the way you operate. When change is the norm, you're never going to feel irrelevant or behind. And for those companies and those leaders who like, well, we, this is the way we've always done it. Well, you, you're going to hate change, but I guarantee you're going to hate irrelevance even more. Mm. So you're going to want to embrace change. You're going to want to lean into it. 
And so practically speaking, what would that look like? What are perhaps either the characteristics or the competencies that great question find folks that really um, have addressed and are successful in being agile? What, what, what are the, what characteristics or competencies do those folks have? There are many that I could cover, but I'm going to pick four. One is going to be the better business outcomes for your clients. Now that I put that one first, rather than improved goal attainment, that's number two, by the way, you can and should have goals, but you, you really want to figure out how do you serve your clients well? Because uh funny thing is, is no one's in business uh, uh, to go, how do I make that other company profitable? <laughs> they're not signing up to be your client so that you make more money. They're, they're doing it because there's a pain or a growth opportunity for themselves. So if you understand their pain, their opportunity, then you understand how to create and deliver value. And then when value is a focus, guess what? Price is not so much. So you want to create better business outcomes for the benefit of your clients. So that starts with your prospects and then goes to your clients. Number two is that improved goal attainment. How do we do a better job of setting goals that do stretch us, but that we can achieve that help us fulfill and further our mission? And I call that a North Star. So a North Star is kind of a combination of two things. It's the vision, the why we exist and the mission, the way we go about that. So why we exist and how we go about that, if you combine that, we would call that a North Star. And then your goals should be these things we want to achieve should help us live out our vision and, and, and accomplish it through our mission. So goals are always laddered up to that. On the other side of it, are these better business outcomes from the client? You know what we call those? OKRs. So objectives and key results, objectives and key results are the way that we create a management system to say, how do we aspirationally create and deliver value for the benefit of others? And if we do that through our products and services, and we have goals that ladder up to that same North Star, OKRs attached to the North Star on one side, goals ladder up on the other, and together you're both coming at it at the, at the same thing, but from different perspectives. One is the business operational side, and the other side is what's in it for the client and how you create and deliver that value. The way we go about doing that is three and four, and I told you I'd list four. So yeah. reduthlessly reduce low value work for your teams and reduce, and you could also replace that with ruthlessly reduce low value effort or steps on the customer journey right? Make it simple for them to do business with you. Make it simple them for understand value, right? And then finally, stop reacting and start responding, which gets back to what we started at the very beginning. If you want to make that change, you're going to have to learn to roll with change, not face change and then make a decision. You're going to already be in motion because change is your normal. So there are four ways we we do that. And those those four kind of ways to think about it. The, the outcomes of all those, by the way, when you be, have better business outcomes for your client, you want to have an outsized influence on their outcomes. Because if you have an outsized influence, they're going to buy from you. They're going to come back to you again and again because you're helping them be successful. If you want to do a better job of, of improving your goal attainment, then you need to increase the delivery of prioritized value. What does that mean? It's not enough to go build a feature or a benefit or release a product or a service. You have to figure out how do I prioritize value so that it benefits my clients the most? Because that will make you super successful, right? And then if you're ruthlessly reducing those low value work, all that low value effort, guess what you're doing? You're mitigating and eliminating waste. 
That's a really good way to get upside. The best way to get upside is to reduce downside, right? Mm -hmm. And then finally, that fourth one of stop reacting, start responding, which is now circling back to where we started the conversation. You want to prioritize data-driven learning, not just data-driven performance. If you become a learning organization and learn how and why you do and don't get better, guess what? You'll perform better. But you have to have a student uh, journeyman mindset to accomplish that. So in a nutshell, that's a way to think about business agility. These are things we all know, but it's a way to frame those and to look at those and then operate, act out of them in a concerted, orchestrated manner. So much to unpack in that respect. Okay. One of the things that really stuck out to me that I'm curious from your perspective to know more about is you talk when you talk about reducing some of the friction, and these are not these are this is how I'm Sure, 100%. What you said, uh, when we're reducing some of the friction for the customer journey or the customer experience, what are some of the common, I guess, points of friction or Mm -hmm. um, ways that organizations are perhaps making it somewhat difficult for? I'm, I'm, I'm just interested to know, like, in your very long and very deep and very expansive um, work experience, what are some of the common themes that you've seen in terms of, oh my goodness, if organizations could just stop doing these two or three if things, or maybe get, if they get them. out of their own way, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny because a lot of times they don't see these things as problems and I'm going to answer your question, but often one of the things I frame to executive leaders is, Hey, you're successful, but what if you're successful in spite of rather than because mm-hmm. of? Mm-hmm. Right, right. right. Yeah. So if, if we could be 5X, 10X more uh, successful and have higher morale and have better employee engagement and have lower churn and, you know, and, and, and. If you could do that, would, wouldn't you want that? And the yeah. answer, of course, is yes. But that means you have to be able to look back and have an honest, objective assessment of where you actually are and more importantly, why you're there why it's things are in the way that they are. We don't, we don't want to just accept that that's the way it is. We always want to ask why and why not? So now to answer your question more specifically, a friction point can often be in a customer experience. I'm going to do it po- before sale and, and post sale. Okay? Okay. So when, when you're thinking about how they come in, if you have stages of a funnel, so awareness, engagement, you know, uh, you know, some sort of utilization, adoption, however you want to frame that, however many stages you have, The number one friction you can do is remove the barrier between each segment. So I don't care what your segments are. So let's say you've got awareness. People are coming to your website. People are reaching out to you on social media, whatever that is. Okay, great. What is the way they go from doing that to actually engaging with your brand? Now, that might be digitally. It might be self-service. It might be online. It might be e-commerce. might even be talking to a sales partner or a business partner or a seller. You, you don't, that's, I don't have to define that here because what we're trying to get to is your process is unique to your business. Therefore, understand the actual as is. If I were to draw it out and go, if I'm a client and I want to get to the end, what are the ways I would do that? And you literally map this out. We do this all the time. We call this business process mapping. Mm-hmm. And we look at the customer experience to say, what do they have to do and how many steps are there and what does that look like? We literally map that out. Mm-hmm. And most businesses are horrified when they do this because they didn't realize, oh, there's 19 steps. Mm-hmm. We only saw it as four. But by the time you go in and look at all the little, well, if they do this or if they don't fill out. And if they use this form, there's a lot of variables. So the first thing you got to do is figure out how do I simplify that? 
How do we make the transition from segment one to segment two, from top of funnel to bottom of funnel, each segment, how do you optimize that for the benefit of the user experience? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways you can do that, you know, from web SEO to the way you collect information using progressive forms, only ask for one field instead of three or don't gate it at all. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can create on a front end experience, a very seamless, logical, helpful, intuitive and actually delightful experience. Mm -hmm. Post sale, you've got to figure out, hey, we put all this effort into landing the client. And now we're on to the next client. Well, what happens to the client? You better have a really great follow-up process to make sure that their utilization is high or their satisfaction is high. And if it's not, what's causing that? So you have to partner with the client. And, and by the way, Kelly, I don't care if you're in transactional sales where you're just selling widgets. If You don't have to be transactional about that. You can still be relational about a transactional sale, but in larger sales cycles or with larger ticket items, you're going to typically have a relational sale where you're talking human to human. And what you've got to figure out is how do you make that process easy on them? So that means you're going to have to do a lot of internal. All of this means you're going to have to look at your systems and processes, the way you orchestrate and organize, the number of steps you require, which tools talk, which tools don't, what's manual, what's automated. If you want to get better at that, you're going to have to do some internal inspection. And it's hard. This is hard work. But the end result is you're reducing friction and you're increasing lift. Awesome. Thank you for that. Now, pivoting just a little bit. Um, I noticed an image on your medium page. And so nestled right in the center of collaborate, improve, deliver and reflect, there's this heart. And mm -hmm. so certainly there's some sort of um, connectedness to those four pillars or areas, if you will, to the heart. And so can you tell us a bit more about the origins of the imagery or the process and what resonates. Yeah, it's actually not mine. That's uh, that's right. Alistair Coburn, right? But Alistair Coburn resonates. wrote The Heart of Agile. Yeah. And I love it. I love it entirely. And so what resonates for you in terms of the heart of Agile? The heart of agility really is about those four things you just described. But if I had to put it into a word, it's about individuals. It's about people. Right. If you put people first, if you really do that, and I'm not just talking about uh, in an orchestrated cadence or people before this, I'm talking about the way you communicate, the way you coordinate, the, the way you do business, the way you interact. Are people at the heart of it? Because if they're not, and it's about the transaction or it's about the number or it's about a metric, people are going to feel that in some way. And for some types of businesses, that's less important, but it's never not important, right? Mm -hmm. The more transactional a business is, the more people can kind of look past some of that to a point. But even then, look at the best transactional experiences you have uh, with, with major brands. You know, I love pointing out Nike there. Just do it. Nike doesn't sell gear. <laughs> Nike sells an idea. Right. That that anybody can choose to have an elite athlete mindset. One of my favorite commercials shows this fairly large uh, chubby kid running on a road from a distance. And, the, and he's running and the, the camera gets closer and further and further away. So you start to see him and he's just out there doing it. And he doesn't look like an elite athlete and he doesn't have the characteristics of what you would see as a, a top performer. But he's just doing it. He has the mindset of an elite athlete. It's one of the most powerful um, ads they've ever created. And by the way, ha had no text, had no voiceover. 
It was just do it, right? So here's this beautiful thing where they understand people align. They buy because they value what you value and believe what you believe. So if I'm buying a Nike sweatshirt or a pair of shoes or whatever, I'm buying because I value what Nike values and I believe what they believe. It is possible for have someone come value what you value and not yet believe what you believe. And that's an opportunity to convince and convert, right? But they do have to value it. What happens is when someone doesn't value what your company values and they don't believe what you believe, guess what? You shouldn't do business with them. Yeah. You should, you should show them the door in the nicest way possible or point them or just basically tell them we're, we're not a great fit. We, this is that's okay. We look at that. I think so many executives are like, no, no, no. We're gonna make all the money we can. We get every, every leads possible. No, it's really not. You need to separate the wheat from the chaff, mm-hmm. because if you do business and you force that fit, they're going to be unhappy. They're going to take more time in your support channels. They're going to be negative on as a brand influencer for you. You, you don't want that. So you have to find a way to say. So what do we value? And this is where the idea of a sustainability um, and a customer service mindset really is driving it because customer centricity is about how do we create and deliver value for them and how do we do that in a way that makes us a good steward. So you've seen corporate responsibility go way up over the last 25 years. Well, corporate responsibility is not just a shareholder value. It's all the stakeholders, including the communities, right? Yeah. So there is this much larger view that the world now has. Well, if you don't have a point of view around that, you will be reacting. You'll never respond. Mm-hmm. So that vision and mission that North Star I talked about, super important. Yeah. Because now you can say, does this goal, does this business goal of achieving this or selling that or doing these things, does it actually help us do this? Or is it something we could do, but it's not something we should do? One of my favorite things about OKRs, objectives and key results, is that they they loop, they don't cascade. Mm. So now I have the ability to say, hey, here's our goals. Great. We think there's a great way to create value for a client. This goal is to deliver X. We think the best way to deliver X is to go create this value for this client. And we have a hypothesis around that. Mm-hmm. And then we have a strategy that you've told us you want us to go to this market this way, do this thing. We go do that. We have data. So we have data on performance, but we also have feedback, feedback from our people doing the work, feedback from our marketers and sellers, feedback from the business partners, feedback from the clients and prospects themselves. And you know what we should do with that feedback? Quantify it. Because Kelly, feedback is a gift, but aggregated feedback is actionable intelligence. Yeah. So if you want to capture that feedback and go, how often do we hear this emotion, sentiment, keyword, phrase, term, whatever? And we start to get that. We go, hey, is our goal off? Is our hypothesis off? Because anytime there's a metric that's at one level and the feedback is nowhere near that level, that's an awesome thing to explore. Mm-hmm. Why is that delta there? What's causing that, that perception gap? And now you can go discover, do we even have the right goal? Do we have the right strategy? We don't assume our executives are right. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're wrong. I just think they're doing their best with what they have. We're not here to prove them right. We're here to deliver value. And if some of the goals are wrong, awesome. Let's make them right. Let's learn how to make them better. This is not a, a, a blame and, and, and point fingers at someone, mm-hmm. right? This is about how do we solve for the thing, not crucify the person for doing it and saying this was the way to go. Well, we can all be wrong. Can we learn? This is the key. And can you do that frequently enough? Can you pivot often enough, frequently enough that you're responding to that change rather than reacting to it? 
That is at the heart of Agile. Can you respond by taking small little bets, doing a little bit of work? Can we do that together? And can we empower the teams, not just with the responsibility, but the delegated authority to get it done? They don't need permission. They've already been given it. That's why they're doing this, right? So if that mindset doesn't exist, you're going to have to really cultivate that. There has to be a way to create that because what we're talking about when I said people's at the center of everything, if you put a denominator equation on that, I'd put the word trust under all of it. Mm, if you yeah. don't have trust, you really can't ever achieve business agility. Yeah. You have a hard time responding to the market because people will be afraid of doing the wrong thing. You've got to take that fear and say, we want you to fail as long as you learn. We're okay with that. And I, it's so much of what you said just resonates with me. And, and I'm curious to know because... You know, you're um, sharing um, to some degree through the lens of your great work that you've been doing for quite some time now with IBM. And IBM is a huge, you huge know, company. enterprise size business mm-hmm. with hundreds of thousands of employees. And so yep. considering that many of the folks who are tuning into this podcast are often either micro businesses or small business, mm-hmm. what is a takeaway that any size business might be able to apply in their business based on some of what you shared, something that they can apply immediately in their businesses. There's four things. Remember those four things we talked about? Let me give you the four ways that anybody can go do this. And there's four things that are very simple. And we do this all the time. I talk about these till I'm blue in the face, because like any other vision, you got to say it until you're tired of saying it. And that's about the time people start to hear it. Right. So as a leader, I understand that. Number one, relentlessly prioritize and visualize your highest value work. Relentlessly prioritize and visualize the highest value work, which means prioritization is dynamic, not static. When yeah, and you learn you something's working. Value? How are you defining value? Anthony. Great. We know what our vision and mission is. So we have mm-hmm. a North star. And by the way, if I have a division, that division and a company will have a North star for their area. Mm-hmm. They will know their vision. Their, why do we exist? And how do we know we're successful? Right. Mm-hmm. And they write that out. So mm-hmm. everybody creates a North star together. It's not the leaders create it. The te- yep. Everybody comes together and creates that. Mm-hmm. And then from that, we say, okay, in order to do that, what value will we create and deliver? Those become the objectives. Yep. So we know what the goals are because the business has goal one, two, three. We go, great. These are then the ways we will create and deliver value. So how do you know what's high value work? It's aligned to your objectives. Okay. And those objectives are aligned back to the North Star, just like your goals are aligned to the North Star. Got it. Number two, mm-hmm. ruthlessly, and I do mean ruthlessly, reduce non-revenue generating activities. Mm-hmm. Look, in marketing and sales, you have the opportunity to create a great customer experience. If that's what you're focused on, directly or indirectly, that's a generating a revenue generating activity, right? Because what you're doing is trying to create ways to make it easier for people to create uh, to get value from what we we offer, right? So we want to reduce stuff that gets in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Bad systems, poor process, limited documentation, limp, poor communication, whatever it is, we're going to address those things and go, what's it going to take to fix that? And sometimes that's hard. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's a cultural norm that you've got to undo, right? I think part of it, the heart of agility is changing the culture. Because if you change the culture, you can change anything. If you don't change the culture, not much is going to stick. So it's important to reduce that low value and I call non-revenue generating activities. Okay. Okay. Number three, continuously improve through direct feedback loops, capture feedback all the time. Mm -hmm. 
So in the world where we do a, a reflection point at the end of a week or two weeks, we call that a retrospective. You maybe heard that term retrospective. Mm-hmm. We, we come back and go, well, tell us what added value. What didn't add value? What were not, what was the thing? What was the process that led to that? What was the thinking? What led to that? And then what can we do to just get 1% better next week? And we do this every single week, right? So there's that recurring feedback loop with the teams and, the, and our shareholders, right? Mm-hmm. Our stakeholders, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then we go say, okay, over time we say, and how's that working in the field? How are our, what is finance hearing from customers? What is support hearing? What are our marketers getting back from form completions? What's the feedback from social? What are our sellers hearing? What are our business partners hearing? So we capture from many, many different sources. What I've done is taken that feedback and run it through natural language processing. I work for IBM, so we have Watson natural language processing and anybody can use that online. You can yeah. go on and use it for free. Watson mm-hmm. natural language processing. I take all that text and I throw it in there. I go, tell me the common themes of this. And so it tells me the emotion, the sentiment, the keyword frequency. And I go, hmm, that's data. Mm-hmm. See, because now it's not five people said something. It's 82% of the people are talking about this. Oh, well, that's kind of a big deal if 82% of the people are talking about it. Okay, what is this? And now we do the question and you go ask better questions. Mm-hmm. I don't have to get the answer I just got to ask better questions. So now we have data to go ask better questions. Now your feedback loops are directly impacting your strategy and your go to market and the way you prioritize because feedback isn't just a gift. It's, it's actionable intelligence when you aggregate it. Mm-hmm. And the number four, ceaselessly create habits of learning to improve that performance. So like I said earlier, if you want to learn how to respond and not just react, you have to create a learning culture. It's okay to fail if you understand why you failed. So if I'm not willing to take risks, I'm probably never going to fail, but I'm also probably never going to wildly succeed. Mm-hmm. So what I've got to be able to do is take small calculated risks frequently and test my hypothesis frequently to see what if. What about? Why not? And you're doing that from feedback. So it's not just like sitting there making it up. You're hearing from people and you're saying, well, what if this turns out to be a thing? So let's go do that direction. We weren't thinking about that, but let's go that direction and see how it performs. The learning over that time is as important as the performance. I would say even more so. The better you're able to learn and apply those learnings, the more likely you are to be able to perform sooner, better, faster, right? So creating a learning culture, which again, Foundation of all this is trust. You have to trust your people and you have to demonstrate that trust as leaders. So as a leader, and the last thing I'll say, I gave you four, but here's the bonus for leaders, delegate authority when you delegate responsibility. So if you say, Hey, Kelly, I need you to do this this week and you don't have my level of authority. You're a, you're a couple of layers lower in the chain, let's say. And so you go to my peers who I've asked you to to take care of stuff. Well, you're two levels lower than them. Why should they listen to you? Right now in a really healthy organization, those layers don't matter. Right. Right. But in some organizations, that's a bigger deal. Here's what I say. Make me the bad guy. You know, Anthony asked me to make sure this happens. So this is what Anthony's requested. We're doing this. Who are you doing it for? Me. Mm -hmm. And and I'm doing it because my CEO said, right? So in in essence, you're working with the delegated authority of our CEO. I mean, really. So what I'm trying to get is that we don't just say, go make this happen, but you don't have the authority to make it happen. How many people have we set up for failure by giving them a responsibility, but they didn't have the authority to execute on it? So what, what is a leader you must do is delegate authority. Well, I can't delegate that authority. Why not? The only answer is you don't trust them. And if Mm -hmm. that's the case, that's your opportunity to go build that trust. That's not their opportunity to come get it from you. It's yours to go give it to them. So as a leader, that's huge. 
Those would be the four things anybody can do right now, no matter if you're a team of two, uh, a solopreneur or, or a huge company. These principles apply everywhere and they scale. Why? Because systems and processes scale. People don't. Yeah. Awesome. We got four and a bonus. And I thank you for that, my friend. Thank you <laughs> you're so welcome. much for this conversation. It was rich. And I definitely appreciate your leadership and the many, many, I'm sure, lives that you're touching through your leadership. So thank you for joining us today on the Boost Podcast. Thank if, you, Kelly. If folks want to reconnect with you and just tap into more of your genius, what's the best way for them to um, just build relationship and community with you? Uh, the relationship community is going to be through LinkedIn for sure. And it's, I use that platform, um, all the time. I'm very active. So I'm at linkedin.com forward slash and forward slash Anthony Coppage. I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and then of course I have my Anthony website, but if you want to connect directly and be in community, follow my stuff, interact with me, I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's a really good place to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you. Well, that concludes this episode of the Boost Podcast. Thank you again for listening in. If you don't mind, if you could like, subscribe, or share the podcast with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. For more information on anything Boost related, you can visit our website at www.kellytleonard.com.